tonight we're continuing on in our study here in the book of Acts. And we've not gotten very far as far as going through verses. We're just in Acts chapter 2. We spent several uh, weeks and a few months on this already. Um, but we've covered an awful lot. Um, tonight we're going to continue on. We've already covered the subject of uh, Christ's ascension, what Christ commanded them to do to wait there in Jerusalem, um, how he had given them the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we see the, that they would receive power after the Holy Ghost had come upon them and be witnesses. Um, and then we talked about the tongues, um, the sign gifts. We spent several weeks talking about that and uh, covering that. And so um, tonight we're going to move on from that. Um, and I want us to look here tonight, we're going to look at Peter's first sermon. And I would say his best sermon. You might say, well, why the best sermon? It's because of the results that he had. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll talk more about that, but this, we're going to focus in on that. You know, speaking about your first sermon, um, I heard about a young preacher. He went to preach at a church that had just been called to go there, stepped into the pulpit, this little country church, and it was his first sermon in that church. And he got up there, and, and he tried to make sure he was as sharp as he could possibly be. He got up there with his, uh, his Bible that he had received from the graduation, nice gold, beautiful Bible, and he had all his notes just perfect. Everything was in order. He made sure that everything was good. He got up there. He was really super nervous. His knees were knocking back and forth. And he says, before I could say, let's pray to start the, the, the sermon, there was a clatter that arose at the back of the auditorium. I mean, a great big noise. The door sprung open. A bunch of goats came running into the service. And he's like, my goodness. You know, in retrospect, he says, they taught me in, in, in Bible school, you know, for the interruptions, like teenagers passing notes or maybe the person coming in late or something like that, but never about goats coming in the back of the church. And so he says, I tried to hold it together. I began to preach my sermon, but there was so much clatter going on. Nobody was paying attention. All they were paying attention to was these goats in the back of the building. And so he decided finally, he took his coat off, rolled his sleeves up, went back, tried to keep tackling the goats. They got him out of the back of the building, finally got him out, and he got up to preach after that. Man, I tell you, things didn't go well. And so <laughs> here he was, his very first sermon. And the very first service there in that church and being a shepherd of God's flock took a whole new meaning for him that day. And so sometimes preaching that first sermon is a very difficult thing, and it definitely is. But, you know, this is Peter's first sermon. That you look, We see him preaching, and we're talking about now in, in the church age. We're talking about the very beginning, the history of the church, the very first sermon. And it, I believe, like I said earlier, it was probably his best. Uh, perhaps aside from the Lord's Sermon there on the Mount being the greatest message, you might say this might be the second greatest. And the reason why I would say that is because of the significance of it, the timing of it, the place of it. It's greatest because at the place it occupied in the history of redemption, we have a transition that happened. We're going from transitioning into the age of grace, the church age. And, and so here we see the very first message being preached in that time. And then we see the peculiar results that took place. Another reason why it was a great message does anybody remember how many souls got saved that day? Yeah, Rod. Yeah, 3,000 people trusted in Christ as their personal Savior. Um, imagine a message or, you know, a sermon like that. It's just amazing. And then we see also the fact that it's a great message because it's the model for preaching. We can look at this message that he preached there in Acts chapter 2 and see as a model for what good preaching really is. You know, we live in a day and age today where, I mean, people have all kinds of different ideas about what preaching should be. Um, we, li we live in wicked times, and the work of the preacher is being rethought, it's being revamped, it's being reexamined. 
Uh, many people today are not, they don't look at the preacher the same way and the same position and the same priority when it comes to preaching as what perhaps they used to do. Many preachers have been pushed aside from the center of the platform to, for people that are, are maybe, um, that, that are entertainers and things of that nature, being pushed away and, and instead of preaching, they're being replaced by things that are, that are, that are um, programs, methods, different approaches. I mean, a lot of churches, uh, musical, having musical events and gospel concerts and seminars from everything to teach how to handle your money to, to how to have a proper marriage. And now you're going to say, well, that's nonsense. You can't preach that. You can't preach that. I'm not saying those things are wrong. What I'm saying is, is when you replace and you take away the preaching of God and you put in place something different than that because you're afraid of what preaching is going to do and how preaching pushes people away and, and saying things like, well, you know, that preacher's too preachy. Now, I understand the concept. In the proper context, I understand that. A lot of people today, though, don't, they mean it exactly what they're saying. They don't want the preacher to preach authoritative from the Word of God with any power at all. They want to have a small talk. They want to have somebody that's going to make them feel good. They want to have something that's going to be pleasing to hear. And, you know, we look here at this message that, that, that Peter is preaching here. Peter's preaching a great message, and, and it's just an amazing message that we see here. And I'll tell you what, Peter would not be invited to preach at most churches today. Most churches today would not have him back if he preached this message in their pulpit. Most people today would not stand for the type of preaching that Peter is preaching here in this passage. And it, 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 we need to understand that it's so important that we have preaching to be the, 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 the number one most important thing that happens when it comes to the church service. And uh, Dr. M.L. Jones, he called the primacy of preaching, and I've heard that a lot when I went to Bible college, the primacy of preaching, the primacy of preaching. In other words... What is supposed to be the, the, the pinnacle of the service is to be the preaching of the Word of God. It's important that we understand that. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't sing praise songs to the Lord, lift up His name, sing hymns of praise to the Lord. That's not, there's a place for that. But there ought not be the replacing of preaching with things that make people just feel good. There's a reason for the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I want to say one other thing. We have moved schedules around in our church. There's things that we have done, but we've never gotten rid of the preaching of the Word of God. On Wednesday night right now, preaching, studying the Word of God, preaching. Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, preaching, studying the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, preaching the Word of God. We have preaching in all those times. We did move our time slot from Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We now have our, our, our small groups or Sunday school at 6 o'clock. 10 o'clock instead on Sunday morning. Now, it might go against some people as far as tradition goes, but we have not replaced preaching at all. We still have the same number of preaching services that this church has always had since I've been here. And so when I say these things, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with moving schedules around and trying to do what works best as far as what reaches the most people, but we should never get rid of and replace preaching because preaching, we see from the Word of God, it's, it's with foolishness of preaching that, that God reaches people. And, and people, um, the, the Word of God is full of, we see throughout the book of Acts, we see the, the preaching of the Word of God. And so, um, you know, some people, they might say good riddance to the preaching of the Word of God. Um, but if you look at the history of the church, preaching was the, the dominant thing. It was the center focus. The first event of church history following the coming of the Holy Spirit was preaching. We see it right here. 
Peter preaches. It led to 3,000 conversions and ignited a flame that would spread across the continents and warm the world to the gospel of Christ. It was preaching. The book of Acts is largely the, record, the record of apostolic preaching. We can see it throughout. Which, When you say apostolic preaching, we're going to talk about that word tonight, apostolic preaching. It's, that simply means when the word of God is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're talking about apostolic preaching. What the apostles did, they preached with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Preaching has always remained essential to the church's mission. And, and you see it throughout. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 2, we have the, the, the displeasure of the Jewish officials. That, and, and they said the apostles preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were upset with that, that they were preaching about Jesus. Undaunted, in chapter 5, verse 42, we see that they daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. After the first persecution of the church broke out, in chapter 8, verse number 4, we see that they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. In Acts chapter 8, also it records the preaching of Philip. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, we see Peter and John. Uh, in verse number 25, Peter and John are preaching. And if you remember when the apostle Paul, when he was, actually we'll say Saul, after his conversion, what he did afterwards... In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He went to preaching. And all the way through the very last verse, Acts records how the early church continued to preach the gospel. You can see it all the way through. Chapter 14, chapter 13, chapter 20, chapter 28, verse 31. All through there we see it again and again and again and again. They continued to preach the gospel. And so this emphasis on preaching by the early church, it reflected even the Lord's ministry. You look at what the Lord did when he began his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says that Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began to preach. So Jesus Christ preached. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Christ said this, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And then he instructs his disciples to go. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, he says, And as you go, preach. As he sent them out, he says, Go and preach. And then, of course, after the resurrection, he gave the final marching orders to the church in Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so preaching has rightly held the central place in the life of the true church throughout the ages. Preaching has been the preeminent thing. It has been the focus of what the church, when you come together, what is supposed to happen at church. You think about the preaching that happened in the Great Awakening uh, back in the 18th century. It was led by preaching, preaching by great men uh, like George Whitfield, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards. If you've never heard of these men, I would encourage you to look them up, maybe even read a biography. Maybe go back. I have some books where you can actually read their sermons. You want to talk about reading some powerful sermons I would encourage you, get ready though, because there are going to be some tough English in some of those sermons, I will tell you that. But some great preaching. In the 18th century, they had a great awakening in this country as a result of the preaching of these great men of God. In the 19th century, they saw great evangelists such as D.L. Moody, um, great preachers such as Charles Spurgeon, Joseph Parker, Alexander McLaren, great preachers preaching the Word of God. And so preaching is the God-ordained method of evangelism and edification. And so surely the weakness of the contemporary church is not because we have too much preaching. It's because there's a lack of preaching in churches today. The weaknesses that we see in the church today. 
So let's go back. We look here, okay, kind of laying a foundation of why it's important, what preaching is important. We see it throughout history. Here, just 50 days before the event we're about to read, Peter had committed the greatest denial of Christ. He had denied him three, three different times. Here is a man that had failed. Here is a man that had fallen. Here is a man that you would think that God's not going to be able to use. But I'm so thankful that failure is not final. God still is going to use him in a great way. Christ had promised them that he was going to give them power. Back to chapter 1, verse number 8, like we said earlier, that he shall receive power. He also talked about them being witnesses after they received the Holy Spirit. And the importance of these verses is that they provide, the verses we're about to look at, they provide a prototype of true witnessing and preaching. It's not just for preachers we're looking at this tonight, not just for me, not just for what we ought to be looking for and what a good church should be, but also in what a good witness, what a Christian should be as well. So let's look at this situation. Here we see in Acts chapter 2, in, in Jerusalem at this time, it's not an inviting one. I mean, think about what's taken place. We've talked about this before. It was not 50 days earlier, they had just taken the leader of Peter and the apostles. We're talking about Jesus Christ. They had taken him. They, they put him through slow torture, and they killed him, and they got away with it. I mean, put yourself in that position. Now, a huge, excited crowd have just, I mean, they've they, they come together there for Pentecost. Over 3,000 people are there that day. They, now they come together and they're hearing the, the, the apostles speaking in their own languages. And some were honestly inquiring. They're wondering, what's going on here? Look at, look at verse number 12. It says, what does this mean? What's going on here? And others said in verse number 13 that they have much wine. And so it was not an easy situation, and yet Peter, he did the greatest preaching on this occasion. And so let's look at the message that he preaches here. Look at verse number 14. Notice what it says. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now he's going to quote Joel. Verse 17, And it came to pass, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above the signs and the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that, and that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. 
Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And the quote, he's quoting, quoting David in Psalms, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath showed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy footstool thy footstool, thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many of the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from the untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. All right, so we've read this great passage of Scripture. We've read this message that Peter preached. And I want us just for a few moments... I want us to take time tonight, we're going to be breaking this down, but I want to begin tonight by looking at the manner of apostolic preaching. I want us to glean from this. There's a clear down-to-earth instruction here for all who would preach or witness the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, for us to be able to look at and for to see an example in the preaching. The first thing I want you to notice here in this message that it was direct, pointed, and personal. It was direct, pointed, and personal. Notice he uses the phrase there. Look at verse 23. He says, ye have taken. Ye. And then in verse 36, whom ye crucified. Peter is not reading an essay for the use of men in general. He's not just getting up and and having some essay for everybody just to hear it. Uh, Listen, he's not beating the air with philosophical speculations. He's aiming an arrow straight to the mind and the conscience of his hearers. He's hitting him right in the heart. He is speaking with impassioned fervor to those people that stand before him, speaking to them concerning their spiritual and eternal uh, uh, condition, where they're at, what they have done. He is hitting them right to the heart. Joseph Parker, he said this of Spurgeon, great preacher Spurgeon. If you have any chance to read his messages, I would encourage you to do that as well. But he said this of Spurgeon. He said the only colors Mr. Spurgeon knew were black and white. In all things, he was definite. You were either in or out, up or down, alive or dead. Everything was absolute with him. And so one of the traits of modern preaching today is not that. One of the traits of many modern-day preachers today is to be vague, to be very impersonal. Um, And so often, uh, we blunt the sword uh, uh, like these, the, the actually taking the sword and you blunt it, being so impersonal, being so vague, that you never hit anybody right to the heart. 
Peter, he doesn't do that. He drives the sword into the sinner's conscience as he cries. Verse number 23, notice what he says. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so the first thing we see here, that message, that preaching, it was direct, it was pointed, it was personal. Secondly, it was simple, plain and clear. First, Peter answered their question. Look at verse 15. What was the question that they were having? He says, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Let me just stop for a second. Why does it matter the third hour of the day? Why, what does that mean? Rodney? What's that? Okay, nine in the morning. Okay, why, why couldn't they be drunk by that time? Does anybody even know? That's not the reason why, but that's what we would say culturally. In that day, they didn't have drink that you would... It, a person being a wine bearer, you had to stay drinking the wine they had in that day for a very long time to get drunk. The percentage of alcohol, they didn't even have the alcohol wine that we have today. They didn't know how to make it the way we, we have such a high amount of alcohol in wine. Do a study on it. We've, we've covered that in our, our small group. But I would encourage you, um, don't think that today's wine is the same when the Bible talks about wine. It's not the same thing at all. They would have been drinking most of the day to get drunk. And, and him saying that. Now, I'm not talking about strong drink. I'm talking about wine, all right? And so in, in the, so in that day, it would have taken a long time in the amount of alcohol that would have been included in a, a drink that they would have had to be able to get drunk. So I don't want that to be the... But that's the first thing we see. He answers their question. All right, talking about being simple, plain, and clear. He answers their question. Secondly, he told them about Christ. We see it here. He told them about Christ. Thirdly, he enlisted commitment. He made a, he made a challenge to them to make a commitment, to make a, a decision. And it was obviously very clear and simple. Peter used words everyone could understand. Even children could grasp the uncomplicated, non-technical concepts that he's presenting here. It was a very simple message that he is presenting. It was so simple. Listen, he didn't make it difficult. He simply laid out the plain truth of the Word of God. And the gospel of which we, as a people, as God's people, as me, as a pastor, as you, as a witness of what God has done in your life, we are stewards of that gospel. And it is plain enough that even a child can understand. I'm thankful, by the way, that it's plain enough that a child can understand. I'm thankful when children come to know Christ as their Savior. Even a child can understand it. And yet there are many churches today that make, an in, that make no impact. They never see people get saved because they don't preach the plain gospel. People can attend a church sometimes for months and years before they'll ever hear how they can truly be saved, much less why they need to be saved. That they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They can go to, I've, I've seen it like that. I've, I've talked to people, and you know, you're witnessing to them. They've been in a church for years, and they've never heard a simple plan of how to receive Christ. And that's so sad. And it's because a lot of churches today, they are not willing to simply present the gospel exactly the way God intends for it to be. You've got two different extremes. You've got an extreme on one end where the preacher is preaching in such a way that's so far and above people in their understanding and trying to wax eloquent in his message that people sit through a whole message and they don't get anything from it at all. He's spoken some big words they don't even understand. That's not most of the time the problem nowadays, though. I've got to tell my... Tell her to be quiet. Sorry about that. Do not disturb. Um, I don't know what she said. Something about the message. I think it was from God. I'm not sure. But anyways, then you have an extreme on the other end. You have a lot of churches today that don't want to say that you're a sinner. They don't want to talk about the fact that people need salvation. 
I mean, some of the biggest preachers on TV today, they have a great big smile, but you'll never hear that you need salvation. All you need to do is just simply believe and God is going to give you everlasting life and God has a better plan, a better life for you. And, you know, the thing is, people can sit in a service like that and feel good all over and never come to know Christ as their Savior. It's so sad. You know, just because you experience something doesn't mean that you've experienced a new birth. Just because you've heard something and have been emotional about it does not mean that you've been born again. Just because somebody will come and sit in a service and feel something emotional and never hear that they are a sinner and they need to come to God and they need to repent of their sin of unbelief and repent the knowing that they're a sinner and ask God for forgiveness, being under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God because the Word of God is preached, they hear it, the Holy Spirit of God pricks their heart. Listen, there are people all across the country today that are going to churches that believe that everything's good and they're going to heaven and they've never been born again. Because they've never been given the simple gospel. The fact that they need a Savior, they are a sinner, needing to be saved, and that Jesus Christ died for them. It's so sad. You know, you think about that. You know what's, what's really crazy is there's churches today, and we talk about how we look at churches, but you think about the main religions in the world today. And Christianity is supposedly the biggest religion in the world today, supposedly by number. Then you have Muslims. And do you think Muslims really believe what they believe? You think they're very sincere about what they believe? And, you know, you, you hear about how that they're willing to die and do these different crazy things, and, and yet they are sincere, and that's the scary part of it. They're so sincere about it. Here's, I'm, I'm talking about extreme here, obviously, but we have a lot of Christians today. They think that they're so sincere about following God. They're so sincere about worshiping God, and yet they don't even know God because they've never been given the simple plan of salvation that they are a sinner needing a Savior. People attend churches for many years and sometimes they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here we see very simply it was a simple plan. It was very clear. Thirdly, it was instructive, educational, and informative. Instructive, educational, and informative. This wasn't just emotionalism. Now, listen, I believe there's people when you come to know Christ as your Savior that you can have an emotion. I, I truly believe that. When I got saved, man, I was scared. That was an emotion. I was afraid that if I died, that I'd go to hell. That's an emotion. When I got saved, I was relieved. I felt God for his forgiveness. That's an emotion. But I can tell you this, there's a lot of things happening in churches across the country today that's nothing but emotion. They've got this great big high. They've got this feeling. They felt like something amazing happened. They have an emotion. And, and instead of experiencing a true rebirth, they've got some emotional thing. That's not what's happening here. Notice how Peter directed his message to the mind giving instruction, first of all. Chapter uh, 2, verse 14 through 21. He's, a, he's, a, he's speaking to their mind for them to think. He's speaking to them to their mind. And then to the heart. He speaks to their heart, verses 25 through 28. And then to the conscious, resulting in conviction. Verse number 23, he hits them right in the heart. Conviction comes. And then he speaks to their will, leading to a decision in verses 37 and 38. You see, and that is a common thing we see in the New Testament preaching. The gospel is always to the mind, the heart, the conscience, and the will. Speaking and, and, and getting right to it. It's instructive. It's educational. It's informative. And it's not just an emotion. It's something that God uses. And we see it happening here. Thirdly, uh, fourthly actually, it was biblical. It was scriptural. It was historical. 
Remember how Paul charged Timothy to preach? What did he say? Do you all remember? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. How did he charge him to preach? Anybody know? Somebody stand up and read that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. First one there, go ahead and stand and read it. Second Timothy four two. Go ahead, Andy. Amen. The key there, and obviously there's a lot there, but preach what? The word. Preach the word. There's nothing wrong with illustrations. I used one to start this message. There's nothing wrong with using proper jokes at times because it gets people's attention. Sad truth is. Some people, they only remember the, the jokes and the illustrations. Hopefully that's not the case, right? But the, sometimes it's a tool that can be used. It helps us to get our mind thinking. But if that's all there ever is, if you're never preaching the Word of God, why would you call it preaching at all? It's a speech. It's an opinion. It's an experience. It is not the preaching. It's where to preach the Word. Peter certainly did that here. His message abounds with God's Word. I kind of mentioned it as we were reading through earlier. Look, for example, in chapter 2, verse 16, in the following verses, he's quoting Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. By the way, the people that would have been there that day, they would have understood that. They would have understood what he was quoting there. Many of them would have known that passage of Scripture. And he is letting them know that Jesus Christ fulfilled that prophecy. And now we see a continuation of the fulfillment of that prophecy, them hearing it in their own language. And understanding that. So he's quoting scripture, Joel. And and then at verse number 25, uh, he quotes Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And then also uh, what David said in Psalm 110, verse 1. He's quoting scripture there. Do you see what Peter did? He rooted the gospel in the familiar scriptures of the Old Testament. He rooted what he was preaching in the Word of God. That's what good preaching does. It uses the Word of God as the basis of the message. Not just an opinion, not just some story, but the Word of God. I try to be ever so careful that I include the Word of God in the preaching here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. Many times on every point I try to have a a verse of scripture unless we're going through verse by verse like this. We're trying to have Scripture to back up every point. And, and it's something that is so important. And we need to understand that what Peter was doing here is laying a, an example of what good preaching should be and also what good witnessing should be. When you witness to people, don't just say, this is what the preacher said. This is what mama said. This is what daddy said. This is what thus saith the Lord, what God's Word says. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Word of God. That's where the power is at. The power is not in man's words. The power is in the word of God. And so Peter, when he preached here, it was biblical, scriptural, it was historical. Finally, notice this. It was bold, fearless, and courageous. Bold, fearless, and courageous. You know, speaking concerning Christ, he says to this gathered company, what does he say there? Look at verse number 36. What does he say to them? Whom ye have, what does he say? Verse number 36. Whom ye have crucified. Whom ye have crucified. That's bold. You think about it, we're talking, like I said, 50 days after they had just crucified Christ. It's not that long ago. Now he's telling them, and everybody's hearing it. Nobody can say they didn't understand because it was in their own language. 
ye have crucified. I mean, that was such a distinctive trait of New Testament preaching. It was done with holy boldness, with courage, without apology. When Peter preached to the Jewish Sanhedrin in chapter 4, and verse number 13, he says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were bold. They saw it. They perceived it. They, they were, it was something that was visible. In that exact same chapter, when the early church came to the throne of grace and they were praying, look how they prayed in chapter 4, verse 29 on the screen there. Notice it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They were being threatened. And yet they're praying, God, would you, would you help them to, to preach with boldness? Have boldness. Peter's message was bold. It was fearless. It was courageous. It wasn't tickling ears. It wasn't apologetic. It was telling the truth as it was. And you know, it's important that we understand that when we share the gospel, we've got to do it season and grace. I understand that. But we have to preach the word of God and, or share the gospel with people and to be bold and fearless and courageous when we do it. Not being afraid of what they're going to do or what they're going to say or how they're going to respond. And I will tell you, one of the challenges for me as a preacher, there's times when I'm tempted. When I get up to preach, I'm tempted to try to water it down a little bit because I don't want to be so offensive. That's my human speaking. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being quite completely honest with you. There are times when I'm like, i got to make sure that I, you know. It, and then I ask God, God, I have to be obedient to what the Lord tells me to do. And it's so easy for us when we're witnessing. Okay, step aside from the preaching for a moment. Let's talk about witnessing to people for a moment. That we're afraid to offend them. Hey, listen, if you weren't offended, would you be saved today? No. Somebody had to offend you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel. I'm talking about the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The fact that Jesus Christ died for you. And you could say that you crucified Christ. I did. My sins is why, are, are why he hung on Calvary's cross. And we share that with people. Now, when I share that with people, I do it as the Lord would lead, the Holy Spirit would lead, and I do it with the love that God has placed in my heart. I do it kindly. But you have to tell the truth. You can't beat around it. And you have to share the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And you have to do it with boldness and, and not being uh, uh, engulfed by fear, but being courageous as you do it. That's exactly what Peter is doing here. And I think it's amazing. I look at him and I say, wow, this is an amazing thing. I can't imagine. And there's only one reason why he could do this the way he did. There's only one reason. That's because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. He didn't do it because of who Peter was. He didn't do it because of the talents that he had. Look, he was a crude individual. He was a fisherman. He was a man that in his own strength denied the Lord three times. He is a man that, that, that was a failure as far as if you would look at those times. Listen, here is a man that you would say could not do this, but he did. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God empowered him to do that. I'm challenging you to let the Holy Spirit of God empower you to be a witness. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop with that tonight, but I want to say this one thing. I heard one preacher say this. There is nothing more indecent than a dead preacher bringing to dead sinners, the living truth of the living God. There is nothing more indecent than a dead preacher bringing to dead sinners the living truth of the Word of God. Now, we can say that about preaching, but let's just change it around a little bit. There's nothing more indecent than a dead Christian bringing to dead sinners 
the living truth of the living God. When I say dead, I'm talking about not having the power of God. I'm talking about perhaps not being saved, yes. But I'm talking about a person that doesn't have the Holy Spirit power of God in their life. And tonight, I'm challenging you. You can't do and be the witness that God wants you to be. I'm challenging myself. I can't be the preacher that God wants me to be aside from the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to get to the place where we are empowered by the Spirit of God. And that that happens as a result of a complete filling of the Holy Spirit of God. You might say it this way, a complete absence of self. We already have all the Holy Spirit where we're going to get. The question is, does God have all of us? Do we even care? Do we even desire that? My prayer is that we, as God's people, would desire that, that we would be able to, as a living, empowered child of God, as a witness of God, be able to share the gospel to people that are dead in the trespass and sin, that they would come to know that the living truth of the living God that we know. I challenge you tonight. I think every person here tonight would say, I don't want that kind of preacher. I don't want that kind of preaching. I want empowered preaching from God's word. I want the truth. That's why you're here. People need to see that in our lives, though, too. Not just as a preacher, but as individuals. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the great illustration we see here um, in Peter and his life and his preaching. We see an illustration of um, what good spirit-filled preaching is like what it does, how it speaks to hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be direct, not in our strength, not just opening our mouth, 